Someday, Liz, I'll go back, said Private First Class Peter Robert Zanetta of the 37th Engineer Combat Battalion and first assault wave to hit Omaha Beach. I'll go back and I'll see it all again. I'll see the beach, the barricades, and the graves. Those words of Private Zanatta come to us from his daughter, Lisa Zanatta Hen, in a heart-rending story about the event her father spoke of so often. She tells some of his stories of World War II, but says of her father, the story to end all stories was D-Day. He made me feel the fear of being on that boat waiting to land. I could smell the ocean and feel the seasickness. I can see the looks on his fellow soldiers' faces, the fear, the anguish, the uncertainty of what lay ahead. And when they landed, I can feel the strength and courage of the men who took those first steps through the tide to what must have surely liked, looked like instant death. And like all the families of those who went to war, she describes how she came to realize her own father's survival was a miracle. So many men died. I know that my father watched many of his friends be killed. I know that he must have died inside a little each time. Lisa Zanata Hen began her story by quoting her father who promised that he would return to Normandy. She ended with a promise to her father who died eight years ago of cancer. I'm going there, Dad. And I'll see the beaches, and the barricades, and the monuments. I'll see the graves, and I'll put flowers there just like you wanted to do. I'll feel all the things you made me feel through your stories and your eyes. I'll never forget what you went through, Dad, nor will I let anyone else forget. And Dad, I'll always be proud. Through the words of his loving daughter, who is here with us today, a D-Day veteran has shown us the meaning of this day far better than any president can. It is enough for us to say about Private Zanatta and all the men of honor and courage, we will always remember. We will always be proud. We will always be prepared so we may be always free. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. On for this episode, this will be the first of many, um, but this episode was co-hosted with Tim Kozak, who is an Army veteran, and he runs the Veterans Project, which is, in a nutshell, a... You know, he interviews veterans and he kind of tells their stories through photos and, and writing. So it's it's very cool and a unique project. So I'm happy to be working with Tim. Um, on with Tim was an individual that he had uh, done one of these projects with, a guy by the name of Bert Kuntz. And Bert is an Army Special Forces veteran, a uh, really good guy. But before we get into the conversation that I had with Tim and Bert, um, you know, I, I sadly want to announce, and a lot of people would know this already, but 
Um, Major Dalton Fury passed away a couple of days ago. Um, he lost his battle with cancer. Um, he served in the United States Army for a long time um, and, you know, highly specialized units and, um, you know, just defending our country. And it's a huge loss, uh, you know, for his family and, and for our country as well. So I want to give my condolences out to the Major's family. Um, the funeral was yesterday. There, there were some images posted on social media. If you want to check it out, just check out my social media on Instagram or Facebook. It's IG Recon on Instagram or Facebook is FB Recon. Um, so moving forward, today I was invited to a, a press screening for the movie, the Mel Gibson's film that's coming out in a couple of days um, called Hackshaw Ridge. And I must say I was absolutely blown away by it. And I think it's the best war film since uh, Saving Private Ryan came out. So uh, when that comes out, I strongly encourage all of you guys to go check it out. Um, it was a very good movie. It was emotional. Uh, it was written well. Uh, you know, everything was great about it. The story was great. Um, and, I, you know, I, like I said, I suggest all you guys check it out. Okay, so with that being said now, I will play the conversation I had with Tim from the Veterans Project and Bert Kuntz. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, for this episode of the Global Recon Podcast, it's kind of a special edition episode, uh, as I have on uh, Tim Kozak, who is the founder of the Veterans Project, and uh, they, Tim does some really good work with that, and uh, we'll get into that in a second. And also, I have um, Army Special Forces veteran Bert Kuntz on the show as well. Uh, guys, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, man? Going great, John. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having uh, having me on the show. Appreciate no problem, it. Man. Thank you guys for coming on. So um, Tim is a six-year Army veteran uh, with a tour in Iraq. Uh, and he started this veteran project uh, during a course while taking his master's degree at uh, UT Dallas. So Tim, uh, before we, we get into the conversation with Bert, can you give just a a brief rundown of what the Veterans Project is? Absolutely, John. Uh, so the Veterans Project, uh, like you said, I started during my master's uh, degree. It was like my final uh, course. And um, it's basically a comprehensive photographic essay uh, that documents veterans' return to polite society, to put that in layman's terms, uh, kind of shows what it's like to return to civilian life. And although not every veteran that I cover has um, returned to civilian life, some of them are still active duty, um, it's really just based on showing what it's like to reintegrate into, um, into back into that home life uh, when you come home uh, from the tours. Um, so, that's, so that's the project. And I started it... Um, more on a whim than anything, it was a, I had a professor who um, was kind of uh, admittedly a hippie, and she had, uh, she had even protested the uh, Vietnam Wars during her time, um, and uh, she kind of felt bad about all this, and she wanted to do something to right that ship, and so we, we, uh, we talked about it, and she said, why don't you do something with veterans, and so I took it... Um, 
a step further and wanted to tell some stories. And, uh, you know, she told me what a good photographer she thought I was and thought that, you know, photos would be really the uh, big piece on telling these stories. So I mix and I integrate uh, photography with, uh, with my writing, of course, and, and, and uh, that's really uh, made it the most effective uh, model that I can that I can personally think of. Yeah, it's it's cool stuff, man. It's um, you know, I've been following you for a while now on uh, so Instagram, I think, and um, you know, I just saw it was it was unique, and I thought it was great work. And you have um, you do these projects with some really cool veterans, and you know, Bert being one of them. So, Bert, uh, you you're an, a veteran of the Army Special Forces. Um, how long did you serve in the U.S. Army? I came in in 2002 and left, uh, separated from the Army in 2011, so just about 10 years. Okay, and that was all with uh, Special Forces? It wasn't all with Special Forces. Part of that time, I came in uh, with on the 18 X-ray program or a program designed to bring guys in right off the street. And I started talking to a recruiter right after 9-11 and, and had signed up. I originally actually signed up uh, with the Air Force and took the ASVAB with the Air Force to, to look at a pararescue or PJ contract and met some Special Forces guys before I actually left to go to basic training. And I switched over at the last minute and, and decided on trying to become a uh, 18 Delta and that's when the Army had opened up that 18 X-ray program, you know, after 9-11, which allowed me to enlist in the Army, go to infantry basic training, go to airborne school, and then uh, report to Fort Bragg and do a couple assessment or prep, shorter prep courses there. And then I got my selection date. So I was able to go straight into Special Forces following the Q course, obviously. Right, and I know the the eighteen X ray program for the audience who doesn't know is a program where, you know, like you said, guys coming off the street. But it, that was originally, um, if I remember correctly, uh, enacted during the Vietnam War. It was, and I, I don't know the exact history on it, but I believe the program was called the Rep sixty three program, and it was initially, and I think from Vietnam up until nine eleven was more for the National Guard, which allowed the National Guard to bring guys that were in the Guard over into Special Forces and gave them the opportunity as Guard soldiers to go to, to SFAS and, and then uh, if they were selected, attempt the, the Q course or, or Special Forces qualification course. But following 9-11, they allowed kind of open that up to civilians because there was such a demand for Special Forces uh, MOS jobs because the way that it worked is a bunch of guys had joined in Vietnam and then, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, those guys retired, left a gap and you know, they kind of had these holes they needed to fill. And then post 9-11, there was a huge demand, obviously, uh, once once Afghanistan and, and the other campaigns kicked off, they uh, they decided to use smaller groups and special forces groups and special forces teams. So there was a, a much greater demand. That's, that's where the 18 X-ray contracts came in into play. And, and it was kind of twofold. The army would bring guys in off the street to go to the 18 X-ray program and they kind of beefed up those numbers. So they'd get a large group of guys that would go to 
infantry basic training, that airborne school, the prep course. And then if for some reason you didn't get selected or pass SFAS, or for some reason you made it to the Q course and didn't pass, you then went and need to the Army, which with Special Forces being at Fort Bragg, most of the guys that I started with that didn't make it through the Q course went right down the street to the 82nd Airborne. So the project was kind of twofold. It allowed guys to attempt Special Forces, and if they didn't make it, they would go over to, uh, more more often than not, get reassigned to an infantry unit to 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 continue on with their military career. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I, I know for anyone who doesn't know, the 82nd Airborne is a pretty famous um, infantry unit. Um, you know, like right, you know, like a story, you know, they fought in all the major wars and stuff like that. Um, so, so, Bert, you have, you know, you have a few rotations uh, during your time in Special Forces. Um, uh, from what I, I was reading on the Veterans Project on Tim's social media and, and then, you know, up on the website is you also had spent some time uh, in the Philippines as well. And that's kind of a lesser known uh, campaign that the U.S. was involved with and uh, in, in pursuing in this global pursuit of countering terrorism. Um, and, and really, a, a lot of people seem to not know much, very much about it, which is kind of interesting. It is when you look at you know when I came in I originally came in my intention I had an, I already had my EMT certification and and I'd wanted to be a medic I I got uh, I got lucky met the requirements and was able to go to the 18 Delta course and become a, a special forces medic and then I got assigned to um, first special forces group which handles the Pacific theater or the PACOM area uh, the Pacific command if you will. And first group is headquartered out of Fort Lewis, Washington, or joint the uh, joint base in Washington um, now. But they've always had a forward deployed unit out in Okinawa, Japan, which is first battalion, first special forces group. And when I left the, the Q course, completed the Q course, got my beret. I got stationed immediately out to first battalion. Uh, first special forces group out in Okinawa, which has had a long history in Asia, but more specifically has always had a really good relationship with the, uh, the, the special operations group and the special forces and Rangers of the Philippines. So I did do several uh, J sets or joint uh, combined exchange training programs where we would go over and train with the Philippines, and on those, you're 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 just training together, you know, working on stuff together. And then I also did a handful of uh, of of Operation Enduring Philippines. I'm sorry, Operation Enduring Freedom Dash Philippines, which was the Philippine rotation of of OEF, uh, which, like you stated, not a lot of people pay much attention to that theater in that combat area, but it is one that's been volatile for a long time. And first group has, has been embedded down there and, you know, been working with the Philippine joint special operations groups and the Rangers and the, the Phil Marines for a long time. The, the Navy SEALs have as well. Our U S Navy SEALs actually always, uh, usually always have, uh, teams down there working, doing the same stuff, which is which is a lot of FID missions or 
for your listeners, FID, again, I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, but FID or FID, Foreign Internal Defense, going down and working with uh, host nation uh, countries and then also doing those those JSETs or those combined exchange training programs where you go uh, work with those units down there and just train. But the combat theater is one that, you know, first group specifically and and the National Guard groups have been doing rotations down there for a long time. And uh, first group has taken a hit and, and has had several first special forces group uh, soldiers uh, killed there over the last 20 to 30 years. Hey, Bert, uh, not to interrupt on that thought train, uh, but we kind of talked about, you were talking about the Philippines, and um, obviously there's also um, some missions going on under that same umbrella in Africa. Why are those uh, missions over there so integral um, on the uh, battle against terror? Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, the Phil- I, I don't I won't speak too much about Africa. That was handled and, and is handled by a, a different special forces group. And those guys, you know, deploy there quite often and, and the same kind of mission with all the special forces groups. Those missions, you know, are continual. You know, the group seventh group handles South America, fifth group and third group do a lot of stuff in the Middle East and, and northern Africa. Um, there's there's 10th group does. Again, each each special forces group kind of works with a geographical combatant command and and works with those host nation or those areas that they are uh, assigned to. And, and those missions continue and go on 24 hours a day and have since special forces started and have since our predecessors of, you know, the first special service force and then before that the OSS of, of going over and working with host nation countries, if you will. That's what I'll call them as host nation countries because, you know, we are guests there um, unless it's a combat theater and, and we're there by force. But uh, those missions are integral specifically, and that's one of those reasons I, I decided to join the forces and, and go the Green Beret route kind of at the last minute was uh, I didn't grow up in a house with guns. You know, I followed – I followed the Grateful Dead in high school. I was a high school dropout. I wasn't a good student. I was, you know, I, I wanted to be out traveling the world and kayaking and 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 getting these experiences. More of more of a hippie, if you will. Um, you know, kind of an interesting background for me. But I always, you know, my my father, grandfather, and then my wife's father were all veterans, and I always kind of had that itch to join the military. But the Green Beret side appealed to me it had a higher appeal kind of at that last minute as I did more research of, of these missions that we're talking about right now going over and, and not just breaking stuff and, 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 and doing, you know, the, the typical standard. And I'll say it, that you hear it all the time, the shoot them in the face stuff. There's, there's much, there's a much larger mission out there that's done by, special forces and, and it's not just army special forces and green berets marsoc is coming on board to do that the navy seals have been doing it for a long time air force does it with the pjs and their special op pj ccts this joint training and, and going over to another country and and learning their culture eating the food they eat learning their languages learning what makes them tick working side by side with them and and training those guys to to 
to rise up and meet the same kind of threats and work on a sim- similar tactical and, and medical level that, that we do. Um, and it's, it's an integral role that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. But it's, uh, there's a lot more of that going on, not so much right now with Afghanistan, you know, Iraq and the Philippines. You, know, you, you always hear about war, but in the history of special operations, there's a long history of, of, of working side by side and going to train with host nation countries. So very, very, very important. Uh, and you're seeing it right now. I, I have not ever deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, that's one of the, the the combat zones I miss. But if if you're watching social media, the anniversary, you know, started to pop up about two of the more famous, you know, special forces operational detachment alphas or ODAs, which would be referred to as an A team, uh, five nine five, which is a fifth special forces group team, and and five five five, which you know, I've never worked with those guys, but they're very, you know, for somebody like me, I, I, I read about them day one. I still read about them. And those are the two teams that were the first on the ground in Afghanistan and, and started that campaign. So what, you know, those guys did exactly what we're talking about. They were on the ground in the cover of darkness and, and, and linking up with host nation forces in Afghanistan to try and to try and teach them and work side by side with them to make Afghanistan a safer, better place. So these missions are still going on. They've been going on since Vietnam and, and, and World War II. And they're, they're extremely integral and vital to, to, uh, to the, to our nation's safety, but also the rest of the world. I know that's a long answer, but, you know, we could, we could talk for two days about, you know, those special forces missions that, that aren't as sexy, um, that are, that are, you know, going and, and again, learning a culture, learning a language, living with those guys, learning who their families are, learning about them and, and just, uh, working side by side. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, for kind of people who are, you know, that they'll kind of casually stay up to date on what's going on in terms of the wars and, and, um, and then people who are further kind of interested in like specific soft units and things like that. Um, but, and and I've had uh, you know Greenberries on the show before, and we've talked about this. And you know, there, there's more to warfare than just you know, like you said, shooting people in the face. You know, there's different aspects of it. And the, the Greenberries really have been doing that since their inception uh, with in Vietnam and and, and elsewhere. Um, so it, you know, the Philippines is, is interesting because on a previous episode, I've, I've had a guy on, uh, army veteran by the name of Dan, who runs a company called Combat Flags. And, uh, Dan is a, a former PSYOPs guy who was attached to an ODA in the Philippines. And one thing he was talking about was kind of giving a brief history on, you know, why the U.S. is interested in, in, uh, and going there and, and fighting against these groups. Cause really they were, uh, kind of a training grounds, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and, and even now today for some of these um, terrorist groups who are operating around the world. And he said they would kind of go there first and learn some stuff and learn their tradecraft and then sh- shotgun out to different places. But what, what's kind of an interesting twist now is that uh, the president of the Philippines, the um, he, I think he was like elected not too long ago and he really, he literally, uh, maybe a couple hours ago, just announced that he's breaking ties with the U.S. and he's going to strengthen his ties with China. 
So now that adds the dynamic. Before it was just dealing with terrorism. Now, um, you know, now you're dealing with uh, China, who's being very aggressive in the South China Sea. Uh, you know, kind of asserting their their power down there, and and that's been like a kind of a hotly uh, dis- discussed and debated topic, and 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 how the the grand scheme of things in the world are going to play out. Um, yeah, it's it's the Philippines again, and I watched the press conference today with the president of the Philippines, and again, it's been I've been out of the army now for five years, and I have not traveled back to the Philippines, so I'm by no means an expert on. The Philippines, uh, but just watching it, and in my little bit of time, you know, I was stationed out in Okinawa for for just under eight years, um, and and did a lot of trips to the Philippines. And just in my time there, it's a very volatile country. Uh, just in my short time in Special Forces, in my short time of you know seven eight years out there uh, on a team. And traveling to the Philippines, they had several, you know, several coup, coup attempts and and s- some serious issues. And this was national news in, in the Philippines and international news uh, when when they happened. But it's it's been a volatile country. But one thing that's always kind of stood strong is is our relationship militarily with the Philippines. I know we used to have a status of forces agreement with them, and you know, there's Clark Air Base, which. When you look at the Philippines and just a little bit of history on it, Clark Air Base is is in the is in the Philippines and was consistently one of the nicest air bases or nicest military bases and ranked number one two in the world for the nicest bases in the world. Uh, it's not so much anymore; it's a little bit run down, but it kind of shows our our presence in the Philippines and the relationship we've had with them that it goes through ups and downs. And, and right now we're in a, you know, it's kind of a volatile situation, but the Philippines is no different than the United States or any other first world nation. They've got a Senate and a Congress. And, and I don't know their exact government breakdown, but you know, they've, they've got, it's the president can't just say, Hey, I'm breaking ties with the United States military and the United States government. It's, it's not that simple. You know, they've, got a, a government structure not too much different than ours but it's you know again I'm not I'm not a political expert on the Philippines but he you know it's 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 much more in depth than just saying hey I'm going to break ties with the United States and, and separate and we're no longer going to do military exercises with them uh, again we've got a long long history we've got a lot of forces deployed there as we speak we've got a lot of bases there We've got a lot of uh, great stuff that goes on, and, and, and again, that's kind of getting portrayed in a negative light right now, just based on the, the political leadership of the Philippines. But uh, there's a much deeper story, and, and you know, I, for, on the Special Forces side, when you, when you look back on it, uh, John, I don't know if you've read the book Five Years to Freedom by, by uh, Nick Rowe or James, James Nick Rowe. I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't read it, though. So on the Special Forces or Green Beret side, um, five years to freedom. Colonel Rowe was a uh, was a Special Forces soldier that was captured in Vietnam and spent you know five you know spent five years in captivity and was a classic. He's kind of one of the Godfathers and and one of the the larger than life figures in in Special Forces. But once he escaped and as a POW in Vietnam. You know, he had the opportunity to leave the military uh, and and decided to stay in and continue to work. 
and he went down there and worked in the Philippines where he was uh he was actually assassinated in in the Philippines in uh, 1989, April 21st of 1989. It, it just kind of shows our ties. And, and for your listeners, it, I, if you asked me as a, a former Green Beret and with a Special Forces medic background, if you asked me one book, and people ask me all the time, what book do you recommend? I, I highly recommend. It's one of my you know top one or two books, uh, military books, and it's, it's Five Years to Freedom. And it kind of talks, it goes into a little bit towards the end of it of of the Philippines back then, which again was volatile. Then we went through, a p- again, Philippines has ups and downs, but uh, it's an interesting country. And there's a lot of people that, you know, you, you can read it open source. And I'm not, again, I'm not an expert on it, but, you know, the Philippines, when, when, when we were in Afghanistan fighting the Russians and the Reagan administration, you know, there's, 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 you know, there's stuff out there open source that says that, you know, we, there's fighters that came over from the Philippines, these freedom fighters that were trained by us. And, you know, they went back to the Philippines and, you know, some of those guys as, as, which is the case a lot of the times ended up going to if the dark side, if you will, you know, and they're trained by, by, uh, by some of our, you know, again, trained, trained by us for other wars, but they end up, not doing the right thing. And that happens everywhere. It happens in Iraq. It happens in Afghanistan. It happens, you know, when you go train these host nation forces or, or these indigenous forces from other countries, you can't, you can't always calculate uh, where they're going to go or how they're going to end up. You'd like to think they would continue on a path uh, towards democracy, but that's not always the case. And the, you know, the Southern Philippines, the, uh, when you get down South into the islands has a lot of fighters that aren't just Philippine uh, but but come in from Indonesia and Malaysia and even the Middle East now and there's routine bombings down there and there's uh, you know sometimes that stuff makes it further up north into the main part of of the Philippines Luzon where where Manila and some of the larger cities are but uh, again overall I think the stuff you're seeing in the Philippines right now it's not as cut and dry and simple as a president you know a volatile president saying hey we're going to cut ties with the United States completely. There's a lot of, you know, we do a lot of business in the Philippines on a, on an economical or a commercial level, a lot. It's, it's not as simple as just saying, Hey, right now, overnight, we're going to cut ties. There's, there's a lot more people that are going to have to, to, to back this up and, and say, yeah, we're on board and this is actually going to happen. I think this is a lot of chest beating right now, more or less. Yeah. The, the, the president seems kind of like, flamboyant i guess is the word you can use like in terms of like you know how quick he is to declare things and kind of like heavy-handed and that type of thing um yes and their military specifically you know i was fortunate enough to work with some of their their special operations you know military units and they have some phenomenal officers and enlisted guys some phenomenal soldiers that are um, in charge of those groups and, and guys that I still talk to to this day that are just, you know, they're just phenomenal people. And we've had a relationship with them for, you know, I have a personal relationship with some of them now. Uh, they're, they're friends of mine. It's a great country, a great people with a great history, both with their country and our country. And I, I don't see that disappearing overnight uh, just because one president 
who uh, has a bone to pick with our country or, or wants to side with China and Russia. But again, I'm not a political expert. This is all this is just just my opinion. But uh, Philippines is a great place with with great units, great special operations units, and and it's just a beautiful, great country with great people. I think right now is just kind of a, a, a turbulent time for them, as it is for us. So, you know, I mean, you look at their president and then you look at what's happening right now with our debates. And I, I don't want to get into a huge political talk with you, obviously, because I'm not an expert. But, uh, you know, the Philippines is, is, is they've got their issues and, and we've obviously got ours right now. And it's, it's that same, you know, you can watch, you watch the two presidential candidates debate last night and the whole time I'm thinking, hey, you know, this is chaos. But, you know, guys, friends of mine and, and, and a whole lot more, 100,000 people I don't know are deployed to Afghanistan and, and I, I, Iraq and, and all over the world, the Philippines and everywhere else right now. And you kind of got to look at the same thing in the Philippines. Yeah, this guy's on TV and he's saying some you know, some nutty shit, so to speak. And then you think about it on another level that there's, there's, you know, there's millions of Philippine uh, citizens that are doing the right thing and soldiers that are backing us and that like the United States. And again, much, much, much larger picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's an interesting way to put it. And, I, you know, as, you know, doing this kind of this media podcasting, social media, it's, it's something that I would like to see people do a little more where they kind of... Um, you know, add perspective to some of the things they say or think, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, you know, John, another interesting fact for me that I was kind of clueless to, you notice it when you're in the military after somebody says it, but uh, being out on Okinawa, I encountered a lot of Marines and U.S. Marines and U.S. Navy personnel. And I think actually in the Philippines that we were looking it up, trying to figure out how many, you know, one day we're working with some of the, the, I was working with some of the, the our Philippine counterparts and then you know googled and looked up the number of Filipinos and Philippine uh background that are enlisted in the United States military or officers in the United States military and the number is enormous by population. I don't have an exact number for you, but the amount of people with a, a background of the Philippines that are in our United States military is is remarkable. It is a huge population of the military. And again, that's another, you know, all those people still have ties to the Philippines. So when you look at it on a larger scale, again, yeah, a guy on the news in, in China that's the president of the Philippines given a press conference. But when you look at the numbers and the reality of it, we have a really strong history and strong tie with the Philippines. And, and I think it's going to stay that way for a long time. Yeah. And, um, so, so Bert, on the last podcast episode that I I put up, um, I had uh, two two guys, uh, former Navy SEAL, former Army Ranger, who are producers on a show that's going to come out on Veterans Day called The War Fighters on the History Channel. And um, you know, I know you were involved in in, in the show as well. Um, and in yeah, yeah so. Go ahead, go ahead. Mike and Mike, uh, Mike and Ray, who were on your your last podcast, are are not only coworkers, not in the military, but you know, since we've gotten out, uh, they're friends of mine, uh, good friends of mine, and then uh, guys that I've also worked with, and and guys that have got me work. Uh, huge, huge supporters of veteran and the industry there, and and they're trying to, you know, Warfighters is the show that 
their producers on and, and have done a remarkable job of getting, you know, groups of guys together. I, I do not appear on Warfighters. I am hosting a Warfighters marathon uh, on History Channel, which is going to air the evening of Veterans Day, uh, November 11th. But the show is produced by Mike and Ray, who, as you know, and your, your listeners from last week know that uh, those guys are both combat veterans. Ray was a, a Navy SEAL and Mike was a Army Ranger. With, with multi, Both of them have multiple, multiple combat tours and are just phenomenal guys. But what they've done is they've found some groups of guys and, and girls that have uh, had had some combat deployments that were you know, pretty interesting. Some bad days, some good days, and... Their goal with warfighters is to try and tell some of those stories now, and, and in an unclassified manner. It's not; these are not cool guy stories. Uh, these are not; it's not classified information. It's everything is 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 unclass, and and what they're trying to do is is get people to tell their stories. You know, I've, we, I I talk to Vietnam veterans all the time that you know mention to me at 60, 70 plus years old that they just started talking about. Or, or I meet somebody who says my dad or grandpa was a Vietnam vet, and they just now started talking about that stuff. And you know, I touched on it in, in the blog with Tim in the Vets Project that you know we've celebrated some of our wars are celebrated, and other wars are not celebrated. Um, and, and and that's you know that's one of those things with this TV show and and, and teaming up with Film Forty Five, which is. Is uh, is run by you know Peter Berg and, and Matt Goldberg and and Ray and and uh, Mike produced the show. They've done a really good job of putting together some stories that again some of them are good days at work in in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and and some of them are bad days at work. But it's just trying to to bridge that gap and tell some of these stories from a, a non cool guy point of view, from a reality point of view of hey. This is this is what some people are going through, so that you know History Channel's got ninety six million viewers can can watch that and, and go, wow, you know this is this is what these guys and girls are going through every day right now as we're doing this podcast. You know, people are in firefights, and it's it's easy to forget that. Uh, if it's easy to not think about it, it's easy to go about your day and 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 move along and and. You know, the United States is a busy, chaotic place, and it's easy to forget at any given time throughout the day that there's, you know, 100,000 people deployed. And right now, in any other time of day, 24 hours a day, somebody's probably in a firefight to, uh, <clears throat> to defend this country and defend the countries that, that we are allied with. Um, and, and the show Warfighters is, is, is taking some of those stories and, and putting them out there so people can can uh, see him. And that that's, you know, coming on this show, doing the vets project, doing stuff like the warfighters, you know, half the military and specifically in special operations is divided. You know, half the guys and, and girls that have worked in special operations are going to say, well, those guys shouldn't be telling their stories. And the other half is going to go, well, yeah, we need to get these stories out because if, if civilians and, and other veterans don't hear them, you know, they ne- they'll never hear them and they'll come out in a book you know, they'll come out in a book or a TV show or a movie 25 years from now, and, and, and somebody will go, wow, that's what it was really like. I wish people talked about it back then and, and, and help sort this out and help people make this transition 
uh, and I, I, I won't stand on my soapbox, but the Vietnam War is a classic example. You know, we're just now getting into great stories and great awards and 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 some amazing stuff that took place in Vietnam that's that they're they're uncovering right now that just you know got pushed or shoved under the carpet because that was not a that was not a war that was celebrated. Um, and and there's there's really great stories and great lessons and and great great men and women uh, that are starting to be recognized for the work they did. Uh, but but again, I think you know warfighters is doing that and they're trying to do it early in the sense of hey, let's talk about some of these Iraq and Afghanistan and, and elsewhere stories right in Philippines right now. Uh, let's not wait twenty, thirty, forty years to talk about them. If it's unclassified, let's let's talk about them now. So that civilians can get an understanding and other vets, not just civilians, but other vets can go, man, that's, you know, that they, those guys went through that and they're talking about it now afterwards, two, three years later or six months later. And, and I think, you know, everybody benefits from it. But again, like any other show, you're going to get people that watch it and go, those guys shouldn't be telling stories, but I can tell you, I've seen several of the episodes and it's phenomenal. And as a veteran, you watch what you know some of these teams and some of these people went through on the warfighters, and it's 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 amazing. And you know these are incredible, incredible Americans and incredible soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and and they're telling their stories. And that's not an easy thing to do in this day and age because they know they're going to get beat up a little bit. And and they're you know to put that stuff out there is not it's not easy. So. Uh, I urge everybody to watch it, civilian or or military. And, and again, I'm not on the show, but seeing some of the episodes, I I encourage everybody to you know at least watch one or two of the episodes when they come out on on Veterans Day or 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 as the season goes, and just see what you think. I think 99% of the people that are going to watch it are going to go, wow, that's you know these are incredible Americans that are doing shit that you know, 99% of the country doesn't want to do or won't do. So, and, and it's not bashing anybody. Joining the military is a choice these days and, and everybody enlisted that's in right now. Uh, but I think, I think it's something that people should watch. Awesome. Well, uh, Bert, not to uh, jump on you here, but I think, uh, I think something, um, I'm going to go ahead and kind of describe what I did for the project in our time. Um, before I ask some of these questions, but uh, to give you a little background, um, I try to go for the full immersion. So Bert kind of uh, had the misfortune of having to spend a day with me um, out at the ranch. And uh, so I followed him around during that time and showed his, tried to try to give people an idea of what his life was like uh, now that he's doing this ranch thing. And, and uh, so Bert, uh, if you could kind of talk about what you're doing now um, outside of that and what you're doing um, on, on this, on the ranch, um, basically living the cowboy lifestyle now. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, thanks. And, and uh, John, and both of you guys just, you know, Tim's already heard my story, but John, for you, you know, my, my background in the military, again, I went into special operations, went in as an 18 uh, Delta, went out to Okinawa and was on a, uh, a line SF team or I won't say there's no regular SF team, but I went to a, a standard kind of ruck, a ruck 
SF team, if you will, is what we'd call it, a standard SF team. And then I was fortunate enough to go into, go to a couple schools, some, and, and, uh, pass some of the required gates to, to go to the SIF unit, which is CIF or it's, it's, it's the, uh, commanders and extremist force, which is more of a, a direct action hostage rescue and, and counter terror, uh, terror unit. But, uh, I got real lucky. With my background, uh, went in as a medic, went into first special force group, went out to Okinawa, and, and at at the early on in my career out in Okinawa, actually developed some seizures, so a seizure disorder. And what I ended up doing is I had great physicians, great medics, great battalion PA, uh, great med officers, and they were able to control my med situation. And I was one of the first guys that deployed Iraq or Afghanistan under their, their watch. And, um, my, my trips were to, uh, I'm sorry, my trips were to Iraq. And when I came back, did, uh, three trips to Iraq, a bunch of trips to the Philippines, and then did a bunch of JSET trips or training trips or, or whatever you'll call, you know, whatever you want to call them deployments throughout Asia to work with us nation forces and at a point in my career where I was at E7 and needed to make a choice I decided to go to the warrant officer course and go the warrant officer route so I went to the warrant officer school at Fort Bragg I passed and came back and and uh, was asked what kind of a team I wanted to go to because I couldn't go back to the SIF unit and I decided to try and go to a, a combat dive team and with that I went to dive school and going to dive school, I had some medical issues down there and ended up leaving the uh, dive school with uh, seizures and ended up ultimately separating medically from the military. And the reason I'm, back, I'm, the reason I'm <clears throat> prefacing this, this uh, conversation with that is because my departure from the military was not planned. Uh, so that's, that's uh, it's a good segue into where I'm at now. because left the military and I wasn't happy. I was I generally wasn't happy. You know, I'm not the nicest guy in the world to begin with. I'm not the easiest person to get along with. And, and then I had the breaks. Uh, I had the emergency break pulled on me and ended up leaving the military and medically separated, not medically re- retired, but medically separated. So my transition from the military to civilian life was was not as smooth as as one would want it to be, especially from special operations. I went from going 100 miles an hour and pushing and pushing and pushing to slamming on the brakes, leaving Okinawa and moving back to Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and that transition, you know, Tim and I talk, talked about it a little bit. I went through a couple different jobs. I, I I actually wanted to go back to college. Tim and I touched on college in the veterans blog, which. You know, for a guy that's 30 in his mid 30s uh, with tattoos and some muscles, you know, I, I picked Texas Christian University and, and I picked the pre med route uh, to, to, uh, to attempt college and went to college at TCU, did great. But uh, just again, making that transition, something just wasn't right. Everywhere I'd go, it was like, hey, why am I so much different than? every single person around me, whether it was at school or, or again, at the grocery store, driving in a car, it didn't matter. You know, I just was different. I'd go to, you know, functions with other people that were civilians and it just, you know, something wasn't, 
I won't say something wasn't right. I just, again, it's not the same as being on a special forces team and being around special forces guys. Arguably the greatest guys I've ever met in my life besides the Texas ranchers that I work for now, but I'll, I'll get to that part of the story. Um, and this transition, again, I don't think the military talks about it enough. I don't think the military preps people enough for it. I don't think there's enough you know, logistical and planning done when somebody knows they're going to leave the military. And that's, that's both on the soldier as well as the soldiers, the Army as a whole. Um, but I, I did the college thing. I actually worked as a zookeeper at the Fort Worth Zoo and in the animal health and the animal hospital there. And then you know, that, that transition, and I can sum it up now. You know, I don't, I don't have issues with PTSD. Uh, a, a great buddy of mine, Tyler Gray, who uh, Tim has also done a blog on, kind of clued me, and he and I would talk a lot. And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me having stress issues. It was me having lack of stress issues, if that makes sense. So I went from going 100 miles an hour. I would, you know, I was halo qualified jumping out of airplanes. I was in a shooting unit that just shot all the time, shooting a million rounds a month, doing, you know, again, not actually shooting a million rounds a month, but, you know, it's out shooting at the range all day, every day, doing cool stuff, helicopters, combat rotations, coming back and then doing other small trips. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm out as a civilian sitting in a college classroom going, man, how the hell did that just happen? And, you know, what the hell's going on? Um, I started to work for a a company that does that does uh, military style. I'll say not military style, but does you know teamwork and leadership events uh, called Go Ruck. Um, good company that does that does these endurance events all over the country, and they've attracted a community of people that are phenomenal that come out and do these twelve hour, twenty four or forty eight hour events where. You know, they bring civilians in and kind of put them put them through the ringer, uh, all wear, all while wearing a rucksack on their back. Uh, really great community of people that come out and do these events. Uh, that was that helped a lot because I was able to be around other special operations guys, and then I could also spend you know time around civilians and teaching them kind of about the military and how things work, and you know what the what 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 you know what military life is like, and try and bridge that gap and help people understand you know, veterans and, and bridge that gap. And then, uh, you know, that just wasn't enough. I, I, I was working and working and trying to stay busy. And I came to a point where it, it was like, man, this is not enough. This is not the life I want to lead. This is not what I want to be doing. You know, I need something that's physical and, and that challenges me. So on a Tuesday afternoon, I said, hey, I want to work on a ranch. I'm in Texas I've always wanted to work on a cattle and cow ranch and uh, a, a cattle and horse ranch. So I called a buddy of mine who's a was a deputy sheriff here in Tarrant County, which Tarrant County is where Fort Worth sits. And Mike actually works in the livestock division and was able to uh, to hook me up with a rancher. And he said, "Yeah, let me let me let me call you back." And you know, I called this guy's a sheriff. He looks like he's straight out of the the 1800s he's you know he's still he's still riding his horse when he does his sheriff work here in Fort Worth and I got off the phone with him and I was like shit this guy probably thinks I'm I'm a nut job like I just called him out of the blue and said hey I'm you know a veteran and you know I just want to find a physical job and uh do you know anybody that has a ranch and I could just come work on their ranch I'll work for free well 
it, it wasn't so crazy. Mike called me back about an hour. Uh, not Mike, but uh, Mike called me. He sent me a text and said, hey, I'm going to have a guy call you back. And, and then within about an hour and a half or so, a guy named Buster Frierson calls me back. And Buster is a, uh, a, a well-known rancher and rodeo competitor in Texas. Uh, he's worked on a lot of, if not all, the big, big ranches in, in Texas and has been a you know, a ranch hand, a ranch boss, and a, a ranch rodeo champion here in Texas for 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 the last 15, 20 years. Phenomenal guy that has a, a ranch right here in, in Fort Worth. And I went out and talked to Buster, and after talking to him for about an hour, you know, he took a chance on me as a veteran. You know, I came out there and, and uh, you know, I said I'd work for free. He said, hey, I'll, here's the deal. I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. And you're going to do everything from shit work and you're going to do a lot of shit work until, uh, until, you know, I, I can feel you out and make sure you want to do this. Cause he has a lot of people and ranchers in Texas have a lot of guys that show up and say, yeah, I want to work on a ranch. And then they, you know, dig post holes or fix fences for a, a day out in hundred degree weather. And that's it. They never come back. So, you know, being a veteran and then being a special operations veteran, you know, Buster and, and, you know, his friends that own ranches and do, do ranch and, and cattle and horse work took chance on me. And, you know, that's what I'm doing now. I, I do that whenever I can and I do it for free now. It's, it's more therapy than anything else. It's given me opportunity to be back around the type of guys that I was like, that, that I was around when I was on a special forces team. And it has literally changed my life. Um, I also own a company uh, with my wife and Buster that uh, it's called Peacemaker Trading Company. And, and, you know, this was, it was an interesting gamble. Uh, you know, I had a, th- a couple thousand extra dollars and it was, to be honest with you, laid on, you know, a mortgage payment. And it was like, you know what, I, I we're going to take this chance. And I got a little bit of a a following on the internet and I'm watching all these other people in America and everywhere else start these businesses on the internet. So we said, screw it and, and launched a couple t-shirts on the internet and it's, it's taken off. Uh, we have a remarkable group of customers and remarkable people that support us and it's, it's taken off. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now is doing, you know, doing ranch work for Buster whenever I can and, and, uh, selling t-shirts with a Buffalo on them. And that was kind of a long, drawn-out answer, but, you know, I think it's important, you know, the vet blog and, and both, you know, Tim's vet, vet project and, and both your show, uh, you know, to tell people who I am and that, you know, I've, I've, I've messed up a lot of stuff. You know, it's, 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 there's no shortage of veterans out there right now that will tell you how awesome they are. And, and they just very well may be, but more of the veterans I know and the guys that I know have made just as many mistakes as they have you know, done positive or great stuff. And then they find that positive and great stuff and they keep moving with it. So I think it's important to kind of talk about that. If you're going to talk about transition, it's, it's, it's okay to fail. You know, it's okay to try and, and, and not accomplish your goal. The the main thing is to, if you do fail is to try again. So again, long, long drawn out answer there. Um, I apologize for, for uh for the long answer but i I think it's important to to kind of if i'm going to tell my story to tell it from the aspect of you know not everything's perfect and you know there's 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 a there's a special lesson in failure and and you know some people see it some people don't 
And I think it's important for vets to, to, to know that, Hey, when you get out, it's going to suck. I mean, it's going to suck bad. You know, you, 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 but you can do what you want to do. If you want to be a wood, and I say it to Tim all the time, I said it in his blog, you know, if you want to be an actor, an astronaut, a woodworker, a hunting guide, if you want to start your own bit, I mean, it's, I started my own business with $1,200 in two days on the internet and, and it's, it's, it's successful. You can do anything you want. And I think it's important for your listeners and, and vets to know that for two reasons. You know, one, if your listeners are listening and, and they, you know, they have job openings, find a special operations veteran. They're out there and there's guys looking for jobs and they will work just as hard for you as they did on a special forces team. Yeah. Is there bad apples in the bunch? There is with any job, any career field, anywhere. I don't care if it's soldiers. I don't care if it's professional sports, if it's you know commerce, if it's whatever it is. But uh, I think it's important for for civilians to know. Hey, you know, there's vets out there that'll work just as hard for you as they did for the military and, and this country, and it's worth it to give them a chance. So, and uh, so one of the. One of the main – sorry to step on you there. But, um, no, yeah, I, I know that was a long answer. I apologize for, for, for the long-winded answer, but I think it's important to talk about that stuff. Well, and, and, and one of the things that I was just amazed with when I was out on the ranch uh, with you and Buster, and again, with the project, the major stress is to immerse myself fully in the project and to show what that um, lifestyle is like uh, for that veteran. And reintegration is such an important thing in the veteran community and, and, and really showing uh, civilians if we want to build a bridge uh, between the two communities. Obviously, we won't be able to connect on everything. It's just, not, it's just not going to happen. Civilians and veterans won't be able to connect in every way, but we can bring the two communities together by showing these individual stories and by showing what you did um, there on the ranch. So um, one of the things that I was amazed with you know, when I was immersing myself in the day, it was just the the amount of work, and it reminded me of my days in the army, where you're getting such a large amount of work done even before noon. So, um, talk about the connecting points between being a cowboy, between being a ranch hand, and and doing these work, doing this work, and the hands-on and the grittiness of it, and how that connects. You know, obviously different jobs, being a Green Beret and being a rancher, but talk about the connecting points of those and why that was so appealing to you. Well, it's just, you know, from where I came from, I was lucky enough to be in a unit that had, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes even 50 guys around because it was a, you know, a unit that worked with, with larger groups than a, a standard SF team. Uh, you know, a standard SF team has 12 guys. Uh, by by definition, the unit that I was in was a little bit larger. So when we did anything, whether it was go to a range or you know build a pallet to to take a trip, you know building pallets to put all your gear on, there was always a bunch of guys there, and everything just got done. Even if guys didn't agree with each other, even if even if you know the task was extremely difficult, special operations and special forces guys specifically will just get stuff done. They'll put everything in the world aside to accomplish the job. And I noticed that about being on a ranch day one, it's, it's, there's a certain amount of respect, you know, is the first five, six months for me on the ranch when, when they were doing anything on horseback, you know, rounding cattle up, 
you know, doing anything, branding, sorting. I was always on the ground. I, I never got to ride a horse uh, around these guys the first four or five months. Buster would, would do that with me when it was just him and I, and he had a chance to kind of teach me. I do not have a background in horses. It's like, you know, joining the Army, I did not have a background in guns or, or uh, you know, special operations. I didn't grow up hunting every weekend. I didn't grow up around guns, so the ranch was kind of a reboot for me. Uh, to put it in, in military terms, I came out to the ranch as a day one private. I was an E1 and showed up in my goofy uniform and, you know, I showed up in cowboy boots that weren't, you know, they were ropers of the rubber sole. I showed up with a, a huge beard and 97 degree weather and, and showed up with, you know, old jeans on. And within an hour and a half of being out on the ranch, my boot heel had ripped off and they taped it up with, with electrical tape out of one of the trucks. My jeans split from my ass all the way down to my ankle. I had to go at lunch and buy new boots and new jeans. Um, I was that guy. And very much like a special forces guy, my first day at the ranch actually ended up costing me $375 because I had to go buy new boots, you know, a new hat, a new, you know, new jeans. I didn't have, you know, it's, it's the same as being on a special forces team. You show up and, you know, you realize that everybody's got the gear that works and it works for a reason. So you go out and buy a bunch of gear. Um, but the camaraderie, and the work ethic of ranchers and farmers in this country is very similar to, you know, to the military. It, these guys start early, they have a job to do, and they do it. And, and it's chaotic. You know, again, nobody's shooting at you. You're working on a ranch and, and uh, nobody's shooting at you, but you got, you know, a 2,000-pound bull and, you know, you got cows everywhere that weigh 1,000 pounds. You're on a 1,250-pound horse and you're trying to move and sort, and those guys are roping and riding, and and there's chaos everywhere, and one wrong move, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get kicked in the head, or you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna have a a, a 700 pound cow roll over on you, or take a shot at you. It's it's fast paced, dangerous work, and these guys have been doing it just like the military's been doing it. They've been doing it for hundreds of years, and they have it down to a science. And the guys I work for, if you if John or, or Tim saw it, I could take anybody out there. The minute you drive on the ranch, aside from the vehicles there and the guys have cell phones, everything else might as well be it might as well be 1875. You know, it's Texas ranchers. They still brand the same way. They still sort the same way. Their saddles, their gear, their hats, their belts, their boots. Hardly any of it has changed in the last 120 years. And it's 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 remarkable. And there's just this certain respect and it's the same thing you see and it for me it, it was the same exact connection in special forces you go to a range and you shoot and you go through the house and everybody's very respectful everybody has their you know you're doing close quarters combat and everybody's got their job and everybody's moving through the house and it's chaotic and and, and moving cattle on a horse is very similar you know everybody's got to move in the right direction they have to flow together and work together and if you don't and you know people will get hurt again nobody's shooting at you but you're dealing with huge animals and high intensity and it's a dangerous job and for me the first time out there Brandon and Sorton there's you know 10 guys horseback and I was opening and closing gates for them I wasn't on a horse cuz I was a brand new guy and and just kind of watching so I'd open and close gates for them and some of these guys are 65 years old and have been working on ranches in Texas for for you know since they were three years old they've been riding and 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 roping and and working on cows uh, or working horseback with cows 
And these guys all came to the gate one at a time and said, thank you. And at the first, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. And I'm going, man, this is, this is special. But then every single time, every one of them went to the gate for the rest of the day, it was the same thing. They all walked through in a systematic order on horseback and everybody said, thank you, sir. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And everything they do is like that. It's very much like being on a special forces team uh, for me anyway. You know, you go on a mission, you clear a house and you get back and you, you, you do what you're supposed to do. Um, and, and, you know, guys are respectful of each other and put everything else aside to get the job done. So, you know, for me, that was, that's where I'm at. And it's, it's aside from being on a special forces team, which I'll never do again, this, this replaced that for me. And this was, you know, it's a, a phenomenal group of Americans that love this country and they love hard work and they get paid shit money, but it's honorable, honest work and they love it. Uh, very much like, like members of our military. So yeah. it, so Go going ahead. on to that and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of switching gears here, but we're talking about reintegration and, um, you know, going from a hundred miles an hour to slowing down and well, almost, you know, like you said, uh, pulling the e-brake, um, you know, how, how do we connect these, uh, we talked about it before on the blog, but for those of you out there that haven't seen it, um, how do we connect the civilian populace and the and the veteran community? How do we bring those two communities closer together, Bert? I think what you guys are doing here with Global Recon, with John and, and Tim, what you're doing with the Veterans Project is – with the Vets Project is – this is, again – this is communication and you're telling stories and you're having guys talk and business owners. And yeah, you're going to get guys on, on the high end of the spectrum that are in the limelight and that, you know, you like Nate Boyer guy walks on it at, at, at UT as, and then goes into the NFL and um, Tim Kennedy, you know, again, leaves and, and is wildly successful in the UFC and is now a business owner and, and telling those stories. But, I think those guys are on the high end of the spectrum. I think there's probably more guys like me that have, you know, messed more, messed just as much stuff up in their life as they have done great stuff. And they get out and, and, and try and interact with the civilian populace. And it's, it's, it's hard to do. So I think communication and, and, and talking to people and, and getting guys like me, on shows like this or, or I'm not shows, but programs or, or, you know, blogs like the vets project and communicating. And again, this isn't about fame, you know, for me and I, Tim, I said it to you, you know, doing shows or doing podcasts like this and doing vets project blogs or hosting something on the history channel, I'm going to get beat up for it. And that's, you know, you can't talk about integration into civilian life and talk about being a veteran without discussing the topic of, for me anyway, of how vets are, how vets, there's a, a part of veteran, the veteran community where vets can be pretty ugly to each other. And, and that also has to stop. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not here to be famous, you know, fuck fame. I don't, I, I'm not here to be famous. I'm not hosting a TV show to be famous. It, I'm doing these things so that I can motivate people or somebody else out there that's going through stuff that I went through 
that isn't going to give up, you know, isn't going to fail a few times and then go, man, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to put a pistol in my mouth and blow my fucking head off like that. That to me, that's why I'm here. And I never went through those. I, I never had, I had days like, you know, I had days, don't get me wrong, where I would sit down and go, Jesus, this sucks. Like this is miserable being a civilian. Can I just go back to the army? But I can't go back to the army. So the next step is pushing forward and surrounding people, surrounding yourself with the right people and finding stuff that you want to do and talking to people. You know, I think, I think a huge part of this is, is doing exactly what we're doing right now and just communicating and telling stories and stuff like, you know, the war fighters and, and, and global recon. And, you know, there's 10 other great avenues, the vets project, there's 10 other great avenues out there where guys are, and girls are telling their story. And I think, I think that helps. And, and I think that, you know, short answer, Tim and John is communication. I think vets need to communicate more. And, and I think we need to, to really communicate in a positive way. It's easy to look at somebody and go, oh man, you work in Hollywood and you're a veteran. Oh, you're a shitbag. You just want to be famous. Oh, you, you're a tactical guy and you have a tactical company that's, that's teaching tactical classes. Oh, you must be a shitbag because you just want to go sell gun classes to people. You have a gear company. We're, we're, we're real quick to jump on each other and, and badmouth each other. But on the other side of the coin, there's a lot of guys out there that are supporting each other. Um, I'm part of a group called the Veterans Business Alliance that was you know, started, by, um, started by Evan, who is the uh, CEO and, and founder of Black Rifle Coffee. And what he's done is he's, bringing, he's got this Veterans Business Alliance that, that's brought, already brought about 200 different veteran-owned companies together. And we're all working. You know, we talk to each other. We're all sharing ideas. We're doing joint ventures with each other. And, and that's the kind of stuff that needs to happen. Veterans need to support each other and then start working with civilians who support vets and, and show, you know, show people that there's, there's more to us. You know, we're not just knuckle dragon meatheads that, you know, all we do is shoot guns and, and, and do med classes. There's more, there's more to it. That's a great part of it. And, uh, it's honorable, great, respectful work, but I think that communication is key. You know, it's just, again, that, and that's army simple business and army lesson that that goes back forever communication is key i think we need to continue to do the stuff that you two are doing right now which which you just talked about you know which is really unfortunate uh Bert, because i try i try not to insert my opinion in uh too much because i'm an objective viewer and uh doing the project i kind of try to give that platform to the veteran but i think one of the unfortunate things that i've seen is veterans coming out and kind of attacking um, other veterans for telling their stories. And now I've seen a very minimal um, amount of it. I've seen more positives, far more positives than negatives in our community as far as a veteran telling their story. But it's kind of unfortunate because on, from the other side, as civilians, you know, they kind of they kind of have this, you know, we're painted too often as these, you know, PTSD freaks with issues when we get back. And so there's kind of this, we're kind of put into this one robotic mass. And by telling these stories, we're breaking that whole thing up. But then you break it up, and then you have other veterans attack you for individualizing your own story, which is, is it's kind of unfortunate. It is. And let, let me also be clear, in, in the five years I've been out, 
I've been part of that problem, Tim, and, and you and I didn't have much of a chance to talk about it, but I've been part of that problem. I've been one of those vets that looks at other vets, or and I've had two other companies that didn't work out because I was not an easy person at the time to deal with, and, and I'll, I'll eat that. I'll accept those, but uh, I was part of that problem at one point, and moving forward and meeting some of these other vets that are just so positive and, and want to help you. Again, I was, I was there. I was, you know, I was the first guy to be quick and, and say, Hey, that, Oh, that guy's, you know, whatever that company's doing this or that company's doing that. Screw them. You know, somebody else was doing it for, you know, the veterans business Alliance and the guys that I'm working with now. Well, it, it I'll sum it up this way. <clears throat> there's, there's, there's veterans in this world that want you to be successful, just not more successful than them. And there's veterans in this world that want you to be successful and way more successful than them. And I've been lucky in the last six months to find some guys like that that have already built remarkable multi-million dollar companies that are now trying to help me with mine. And they want me to be more successful. We've had the conversation and they go, man – what you got is awesome, Bert, and I think it's going to be bigger than my company. And for another vet, to, and, and they're, they're excited about it, and they want to help you versus saying, hey, yeah, you got a really good company. I'm going to support you just until you get bigger than I do. I want you to be successful, just not more successful than me. And I think in the vet community, again, it's important, I think, for vets to find the positivity, and it's out there. If if you're doing something and it's negative, then f- then you know. Again, here's another one: if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. And that's that's exactly what I did at at one point in, in the last five years. You know, a buddy of mine told me that he said, "Bert, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you." And that's exactly what I did. And and I think it's important for vets to to realize that. And when you get out as a vet, you've got all these grand plans and, yeah, you're going to get a PhD or become a doctor or, or you're going to be a millionaire, billionaire. And, and a small percentage, just like in special operations, a very, very, very small percentage of special operations guys make it to the, the elite, you know, best of the best units. The same thing happens when you transition into the civilian world. A very small group of those guys are going to go to Stanford Business School and they're going to they're going to do great stuff and within 2 years they're going to have a, a a billion dollar startup the rest of the vets out there that are transitioning from the military aren't going to do that and i was one of those they're going to bounce around try and figure out what they want to do they're going to go to school might like it might not like it they're going to start a company that's going to fail or it may be successful but more of us are going to fail at stuff than we are going to be successful the key is to keep pushing and find the right people and surround yourself with the right people and that's civilians included. So, you know, again, can't stress it enough. Find the positives. If you're a veteran, no matter what it is, find the positives, find anything positive in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Stay away from the negative. When negative stuff pops up, move on and surround yourself with civilians that are positive and pro vet and want to give you jobs and want to help you. And if you, you know, if you're trying to start a business, find a civilian that started one of those businesses and say, hey, I'm a vet. Will you help me do this? And I guarantee you, no matter what state you live in, somebody out there that owns a business is dying right now to help veterans. And they will do it for free on their time, help you start a business or help you get the job you want or help you do your resume 
or help you get the skills you need. There is no shortage of civilians in this country that are itching to help veterans, that will do it for free on their own time to help veterans be successful. Find those people because they are out there. And and going off of that, Bert, um, you know, you talked about kind of this massive uh, perception um, issue that we have as veterans and uh, the kind of robotic mass that we're seen as and uh, we're trying to individualize these stories. How do we how do we change the perception um, that and how civilians um, see us? And if there was one thing you could do in particular, we talked about that on the blog before, but if there's one thing you could do in particular uh, to change that perception, what would it be? To, to change the perception is, I think, is being positive, successful civilians and, and showing civilians and showing other veterans that, again, you know, that you can do positive stuff. And I'm at the point now, you know, I'm just using my exam. I'm, I'm not trying to break my arm, patting myself on the back. But, you know, we just did a police and a firefighter shirt for our company. And I was we were we were able to turn around and donate all the profits of that back into local police and firefighter charities. And, and I think, you know, when people see that and then they go to your company and go, man, this guy's a veteran and he's doing this stuff. I think, you know, that changes that perception. And, you know, there is a perception of, you know, the, the PTSD tactical shoot him in the face veteran that has, you know, the Rambo, if you will, you and I talked about it, you know, classic example, guy comes home, crawls under a rock, tries to go visit a friend. And, you know, the next thing you know, he's, you know, it, it's, it's the classic example of the worst case scenario for a veteran or a special operations veteran. And I think doing the exact opposite of that, come back, reintegrate, find out what you want to do and, and, and what you love and put it to work and, and become a positive, successful person as a civilian, uh, which we already do it. You know, you go into the military and you don't make it. I don't care what anybody says. You don't make it onto a special forces team without putting in a shitload of work. You know, nobody makes it through the door of a special forces team with a Green Beret without putting a lot of work in. And that goes as well for my, you know, brother counterparts, SEALs, PJs, CCTs, MARSOC, Recon, Ranger Battalion, across the board. You know, it's not... If you can go put that much work in on the the Green Beret side, for instance, two to two and a half to three years through the Q course, you can start a business when you become a civilian and you can become a positive role model and you can become a successful business owner and you can do it in about a tenth of that time. It's 2016. Get on the internet, start a company. I don't care what widget it is. I don't care if you want to do, again, metalwork, woodwork, you want to sell patches, t-shirts, hats. You know, I'll help people do that. I own a t-shirt company, an apparel company, and I will help somebody start a company if they're a veteran and they really are success. They're really serious about doing it. And I think, you know, that's the way you change the perception. And and when I go out, you know, we now sell in retail stores, and we've moved away from you know the people that I met when I worked at Go Ruck and 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 through my travels at the zoo and. I, I'm I'm now not selling T-shirts and apparel and hats to just the people that knew me on the internet or knew me in person. We're now branched out, and more civilians every day are reading, you know, Peacemaker's story and reading my story and going, "Cool, man, this guy's a veteran and he's he's out there, you know, plugging away." 
And it's, you know, the other side of it that, that doesn't get talked about a lot is starting a business or trying to be successful or a student or getting your PhD or becoming a, a PA, a nurse, a doctor, even woodworking. It doesn't matter what it is. It is not a quick path and it's not easy. My wife and I still work, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 hours a day. But, you know, as a, as a, as a former military guy, I need that. And I think that's another problem that vets have and that we can get rid of that. Don't sit around in a dark room at your house watching TV. Don't get sucked into the internet and sit on the internet all day and, and don't get sucked into, you know, a sedentary lifestyle because you don't do it in the military, specifically not in the infantry or special operations. Don't sit around on your ass. Get out there and get busy. Um, right. Again, you want to be a fly fishing guide? Go be a fly fishing guide, and then you start taking you know civilians out. And every one of those civilians, if it comes up, when they find out you're a veteran, they're going to go, "Man, this is awesome!" And it's a positive light for veterans everywhere. And then they're going to go, "Cool, I'm going to take a chance on a veteran, and I'm going to hire the next guy that comes in out of 15 resumes. I'm going to see a guy that's a veteran and go, you know, that guy that was my fly fishing guide was was one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. I'm going to take a chance on him in my investment firm because he's got a degree now from from Harvard and it was a special forces guy. Does that so, make does that make sense? It's it's again just positive and, and hard work. The same stuff you do to get on a special forces team, just apply it to everything you do in the outside world. If I can so, do it, Tim, anybody can do it. Like like I've told you before, I'm not an easy person to get along with. If I can do this stuff and 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 see the positive in the world and do positive stuff, anybody can. Hey, John, he has a real problem with humility. Can you tell? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I, just, to, just to kind of chime in on what you were saying, uh, Bert, uh, it, it's something that I've, has been kind of touched on in previous episodes um, about guys getting out and kind of just, you know, maybe looking at a task and, and saying, oh, you know, this is going to take too long or, or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I was saying, like, if, if, if some of these guys, like, you know, special forces veterans, infantry guys, or, you know, whatever branch they came out of, or whatever type of specific role they were in, if they applied that same tenacity and that same effort into, in anything, you know, like, if, if you, if you have a, a nine to five job, right, and you're putting in 40 hours, um, on the clock and then maybe an, an hour or two traveling to and from work every day. Imagine you put in that, that same time into a business, you know, it, maybe it'll take a year, maybe it'll take even longer. But, uh, you know, I think one of the most important aspects of success um, that I'm, at least in my opinion, is, uh, you know, the amount of effort that you're willing to put in and, and to accept that, you know, this isn't going to be something that happens overnight. And, and maybe it would be, you know, some things happen that way, but, um, you know, I think if you look at it like, all right, I'm going to get to the top of this mountain and it may take me a month, but I'm going to do it. And you take it one day at a time, one step at a time. I think uh, there's like no ceiling to, uh, you know, how much you can achieve. John, you just you you and I've I've been on social media and kind of out there since, you know, probably 2012 ish. And I've reposted exactly what you just said, but just kind of a little bit shorter you just said my my favorite line of my entire life that I say to myself every single morning when I'm shaving or brushing my teeth, I look at myself in the mirror and 
and I say what you just said to myself, and this might sound hokey, but that's the kind of guy I am. And, and I have to look at myself. I'm, I'm a strong back, weak mind, so i got to look at myself in the mirror every morning and say exactly what you just said. I say to myself, Bert, the only thing you can control today is the amount of effort you put into being the person you want to be. And at the end of the day, that is the only thing that you have control over realistically in your entire life is the amount of effort you put into the person you want to be in the work you want to do. And again, it is not easy. Starting a business isn't easy. Transition to this civilian life is not easy, but the amount of effort you put into it, whether it's taking out the trash at McDonald's or, you know, being an, you know, being a neurosurgeon, you know, it, veterans are doing all that stuff and everything in between. And the one thing that we can control is the amount of effort we put into what we're doing. That's it. So, you know, going off of that, and you mentioned it a little bit for uh, your brand, uh, Peacemaker Trading, which is just a phenomenal brand. I actually have one of the shirts, was lucky enough to get one of the shirts, and it is one of the most comfortable shirts I've ever worn. It's awesome. Um, you know, that whole thing, Peace Through Strength, and that's one of the um, mottos. Um, you know, protect what you love. Grateful. These are, these are very powerful words. And so talk a little bit about what, why you came up with this and, 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 how about, and how this is more than just – I mean, because I'm sure you see it this way. You see this as more than just a brand, right? This, you know, Peacemaker for me is a lifestyle and it's a lifestyle that I have now and that I want to have until the day I die. Uh, Peacemaker was important to me because when I had got out, a couple of those companies that I worked for and I started another company that didn't, it didn't work out. Again, I was, a, you know, I'm not placing blame on anybody. I wasn't a difficult person to be around. I, you know, probably wasn't a difficult person to work with. It just didn't work out. And one of the things after working on the ranch with Buster and for Buster for a, a couple months, you know, came up to, you know, I, I'm a t-shirt and hat guy, have been my whole life. And, you know, I don't want to walk around at 40 years old with a, a Grateful Dead t-shirt and a Who Farted hat on. Like, I, it was like, I, I want to make something, I want to make something better that that defines what I believe is gr all, all things great about America since day one. Of modern America, if you will, uh, and that was you know Pete, you know all the things Ronald Reagan said at first, peace through strength. You know he didn't say it first, but he's the one that put it on the map. Uh, but peace through strength, protect what you love. You know being grateful again. It comes from you know my time of of you know just being grateful for everything that I've gotten, and I I, I haven't always been grateful. Uh, Quite, quite the contrary. Actually, there's again, haven't always been the prettiest or most pleasant person to be around, but now I am. I'm grateful for every minute of every day that I'm, you know, above above ground. And you know, peacemaker trading for me. The other side of this, Tim, and we talked about it a little bit, is I wanted to start a company that does not compete with veterans at all. Like it didn't. I didn't. Yeah, can I sell tactical shirts? Sure. Can I sell shirts with guns on them? Can I sell shoot them in the face shirts? Can I? You know, can I use my background and and sell T-shirts based on my limited time in the military? And the answer for me was, yeah, you can do that, but I don't want to do that. So we sell T-shirts with a buffalo on them, and we have some other shirts. But it was super important for me to start a company if I was going to do this, to start a company 
that didn't compete with other veterans. And and again, you know, I, I don't, I just didn't want to compete with other veterans. It's, it's not a area that I want to be in. Yeah. Do other veterans sell t-shirts? They do. And, and oddly enough in the last, you know, in the last two and a half months, some companies and some guys that I've, I've hooked up with and become friends with that are genuinely some of the greatest veterans I've ever seen. You know, you can watch their social media stuff and think one way about them or, or, you know, these guys have turned out to be some of the most phenomenal vets I, I've ever met in my life. And here's the irony of it. They wear my t-shirts on their social media and they're like Global Recon. They, you know, they're like you, John. They've got 115,000, 120, 100, 250,000 followers. And all three of these guys that have been wearing my stuff and helping me with my company, they all own companies that sell t-shirts. That's the beauty of it. And they want nothing from me. They have nothing invested in my company. They have nothing invested in me other than we're veterans. We hung out together and we really like each other. And these aren't small t-shirt companies. You know, Matt Best, who's the CEO of Article 15, wears my t-shirts on his ad. Evan Hafer, who's Black Rifle Coffee, he's wears my hats and my t-shirts. And they're not doing it to look cool. They're doing it because they like the way the T-shirts feel and they want to support another veteran. These guys sell T-shirts and they're wearing my T-shirts. And that's the way this community should be. You give tactical courses and you're a good vet and I give tactical courses. Let's work together and do a tactical course together. Or let me sell a piece of your gear and you sell a piece of my gear and we show people that we can get along. So, you know, for me, Peacemaker was – from the get-go, I said I didn't want to compete with other veteran companies. If I was going to do anything with other veteran companies, it was going to be in a positive light, and it was going to be working together to sell our products together, and that's exactly what's happening. And it's not just happening with our com- com- companies. There's a lot of companies right now that are working together and have been working together for a long time that are special operations vets and vets in, in general. Uh, so, again, another long answer, but you know, Peacemaker is a lifestyle brand for me. You know, when somebody says, hey, you sell a T-shirt with horses on them, I can go, yeah, that's because I, I that's my dream and I'm doing it a couple days a week is learning how to ride horses. And I can sell, you know, T-shirts with, with ranch stuff or buffalo stuff or whatever it is because that's that's the lifestyle I want to lead. And that was, that, that was very important to me with Peacemaker. Hey, uh, j- just to chime in on what you said, I think there's a – uh, a kind of a famous African uh, quote or proverb that kind of sums that up, and it's something like, uh, "If you want to go, if you want to go faster, go alone. If you want to go further, go together." And um, I think, to me, what you were just saying, that quote kind of uh, sums it up and encompasses, you know, that idea. And and I, I think you're you're spot on with it. Yeah, that's that's, and, and again, I'm going to plug it again. John, and, and I know, again, I'm, it, it's the Veterans Business Alliance. You can find it on Facebook. It's a Facebook group, and you got to be vetted to get in. But it's a group of veterans that are, that are trying really hard to help other veterans, just like you said. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. And that's exactly what we're doing, and that's exactly what these guys are doing. Again, I can't stress enough when you know two CEOs of two of the biggest veteran companies in America right now that sell apparel are wearing my shirts and trying to texting me every other day saying, Hey man, what do you need help with? 
here, here's the mistakes I made. You know, Evan, here's the mistakes I made when I started my company. Let me help you not make those mistakes. As a veteran, I'm going to help you. And then we're going to do this thing together and we're going to take it to the moon. So, and it, it's anyway, it's, it, there needs to be more of that. And I think that helps with that communication integration process of, of guys realizing, hey, you don't have to compete against each other. The pie is huge. The pie is so big, everybody can have their piece of pie, and we can all sit at the same table and eat it. It doesn't matter your podcast, my company, Tim's blog, you know, this, you know, Evan, you know, Black Rifle. It doesn't matter, Black Rifle. We can all sit at the same table and, and help each other out. And, and I think we're doing it right now. John, you having me on and having guys like Ray and Mike on about the warfighters, and, you know, those guys, Mike and Ray, are trying so hard to, to help veterans combat veterans and veterans get jobs in, in Hollywood and and you got guys that own companies like Film 45, Peter Berg and, and Matt Goldberg that are every single day are trying to work with vets and hire vets and do veterans projects. And again, I think I think this is, you know, talking about it and, and getting it out there and, and showing people that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and, and don't give up. Like there's other vets out there that are w- just waiting to help you and there's other civilians that are that are lined up to hire vets and help vets. Right. Um, you know, Bert, kind of switching lanes here, but, you know, and, and getting into something heavy, but um, I was with a buddy the other day, and he had just lost another one of his friends from his unit um, to uh, suicide. And, um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate part of these wars we've been fighting. Um, it's become a very heavy topic and, um, one that is out there. Uh, you know, so you talked about productivity and all that, you know, but on the other side of that, as guys that are, are sitting there and, and, and losing their purpose, how do we, how do we fix that issue of, uh, veterans taking their own lives for, uh, from your standpoint? I think the first one is we have to encourage veterans to get help or ask for help. And it doesn't, the stigma of, hey, I, if I go get help, I'm, you know, they're going to take away my license. I'll never be able to carry a concealed weapon. They're going to flag me. My unit's going to, this is 2016. That's not the way it works anymore unless you you do something that's so drastic that, it's going to cause you issues or be a legal issue or a, a safety for your life issue. But calling somebody or getting help when you start to have those feelings at the beginning is huge. And and this stigma that, you know, asking for help makes you weak. Not asking for help is a whole lot. People got to ask for help. That That's the simple thing. You know, veterans, I don't care what unit you were in. I don't care who you are. That first step when you start getting depressed or, you know, one beer becomes two beer, becomes six beers a day, becomes a 12-pack a day, taking Ambien or sleep medication and falling into that black hole, you know, when that stuff starts to happen, you got to go, okay, what what's I've got a change in my lifestyle here and I'm not happy. If you wake up in the morning and you're a vet and you go, I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to live. I don't want to do this today. I'm depressed and I hate everybody on this planet. That's when you need to ask for help. And there's no shame in asking for help. It's it's a hard thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And I think that's the first step is guys got to ask for help. 
And, you know, in my short five years of being out and my short time in the military, I got guys that call me that, you know, when I was brand new in special forces as an E5 right out of the Q course, when I got to teams, these guys were E7s and E8s and team sergeants and already had combat deployments. You know, now that I'm out and doing some of this stuff, some of the guys that I would have never imagined in a million years calling me, call me and say, hey, man, you got time to talk? You know, I, I just, how are you doing the stuff you're doing? And I'm in a funk, like I've never had this before. Like that's how it starts. And as veterans, if if you see a buddy of yours, that's not right. You know, buddy checks, people talk about it all the time. It's all over social media. When somebody of yours is not right and they're a veteran or they lose their job or get divorced or, you know, have something worse happen, a DUI or, or lose their job or have, you know, issues with credit, whatever it is. You need to stay on that person as a veteran. That's your obligation. You would do it when you were in. If you're on a mission and somebody got wounded, you don't just dump them to the side and forget about them. You keep checking on them and keep doing checks, med checks, med checks, med checks. It's the same thing when you're a civilian. If somebody's having issues, you need to continually check on them until they're in a better place and not having issues. And and I think we're really bad at doing that. It's easy to get stuck in your own lane. It's easy for me to go, oh, fuck everybody else. I've got my company right now and I'm doing cool stuff and I'm on the veterans blog and I'm on Global Recon. And But you know what? The minute we're off the, you know, off this podcast, I've got a phone call to make tonight to check on my buddy who's been having a shitty week and lost his job. You know, that's that's what we need to do. And even if it's just him hearing my voice and me saying, hey, man, you need anything? I'll get on a plane right fucking now and come to your house. What, what can I help you with? And we need to do more of that. And I think the Army as an institution needs to do more to, to, to recognize that stuff and, and more to vet guys. And, you know, when somebody has 20 combat deployments and there's guys out there now that do, you know, we're far enough into Iraq and Afghanistan. There's guys that have 20 deployments. You know, those guys, somebody needs to be checking on those guys. Somebody needs to to be watching those guys. Somebody needs to be vetting people from the beginning before they even go into special operations to make sure that, you know, they're not susceptible to that kind of stuff, whether it's family history or – and I know that's a very hard task to do, but I think overall we, we've, we need to do a better job as a military – and 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 both on the military and civilian side of of getting guys the help they need, but also vetting the right people um, to go do these combat deployments. I mean, if somebody's going to do twenty, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty combat deployments, I think at some point somebody's got to sit back and go, "Man, that's a lot of work." And yeah, is there one tenth of you know one tenth of those guys can do it? And it doesn't phase them at all, and they'll continue on and have a ranch in Virginia and and raise cows and and have a happy life for the rest of their life. Yeah, those guys are out there, but I can assure you from my experience, there's more of those guys out there that are not going to be okay and that are going to have issues and are going to need to talk to somebody about it, whether it's a friend or uh, a psychologist or anybody. You know, there's there's more of us out there that are going to have issues than there are that are not. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Bert, I just want to thank you for, um, you know, coming on the podcast and, and opening up and talking about your experiences. Uh, I, you know, I know the audience is going to appreciate it. I know you kept saying, you know, sorry for the long winded ans- answers, but 
this podcast is really a platform to connect guys like yourself with civilians and, and, and other veterans as well. And I think the more people hear from guys like yourself, the more they really appreciate it. And, um, you know, once again, I just want to thank you for coming on. And uh, Tim, uh, Tim is definitely going to be back on the podcast and as we'll be doing more of these uh, in the future. Um, the Veterans Project, I think, is doing very important and, and great work. And um, I would like to highlight what, what Tim's doing with that uh, as much as I can. Yeah, John, and thank thank you very much for having me on and and Tim's project again. It, I'm bottom of the barrel, you know. Tim was scraping the barrel having me on compared to some of these other guys he's had on the Veterans Blog, like Tyler Gray, uh, Nate Boyer, Tim Kennedy. I mean, some of those guys. If you can get them on here, some of those guys have. And, and people aren't going to agree with everybody's opinion. There's going to be people who listen to mine and don't agree with me, but some of the folks that I know or, or know of that, that Tim's had on his uh, blog are, are phenomenal people and, and just phenomenal Americans and, and hearing their perspective, I think is, is a great start. So I really appreciate you having me on and hopefully you'll, you'll have some of those people on that Tim's already had on his blog. Cause there's some really, really good people that have some really good insight on, on making that transition from the military to civilian life. But thank hey, you very much, John. John, he owns his own company. He's um, hosting a marathon with Peter Berg, and uh, he's bottom of the barrel. <laughs> um, so, hey, guys, uh, Bert and uh, Tim, before we get off, um, can you drop some uh, you know, point of contact, website, social media for, for any of the audience who would be interested in keeping up with you? You go ahead, Bert. Absolutely. The, uh, the, two, the two things that that I have going on are our peacemaker trading company, which is, is www.peacemakertrading.com. And we're just, we're an Americana apparel company. We sell our stuff that, uh, mostly on the internet. We're also in Teskey's saddle shop, which is the largest saddle shop in the country. That's out in Weatherford, Texas. Uh, but it's more Americana, you know, stuff. Uh, we sell hats, apparel, and then I've got a couple projects coming out, um, with the History Channel and, and Film 45, the production company, uh, most specifically the one coming out in, in December is going to be uh, on the History Channel, and it's called the Selection Special Operations Experiment. And what we're doing on that show, it's we took uh, 30 civilians, no military background, and we're just putting them through some, some military-style PT. There's no tactics, no... You know, you know, no cool guy stuff. It's just testing some civilians to see if they can hold up over a, a couple weeks on doing some, you know, military or special operations style physical training events, whether it's log PT or some swims or some rucks and some runs. It's it's just a, a really a good opportunity for some civilians to come out and test themselves uh, underneath the the watch of guys that were that are former special operations guys, Navy SEALs, uh, special forces and an army ranger. But, uh, that'll be on history channel and it's called the selection special operations experiment. And that's going to be out in, in December. And then again, November 11th, I'll be hosting a, a marathon of, uh, history channels show the war fighters, which is, uh, real life accounts of, of men and women from these two, mostly these two campaigns, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, telling some real life accounts about, uh, some, some bad days and good days, uh, they had while working overseas. And, uh, 
my uh, my platform is uh, thevetsproject.com, www.thevetsproject.com. And my Instagram is the Veterans Project. I've uh, currently got two blogs I'm working on, a uh, Captain Donnie O'Malley, who is a Marine Corps captain and is now a comedian. Um, he brings a very interesting perspective, great guy, great Marine, um, definitely a Marine's Marine. And um, I'm also working on a Liam Fuller, who started Blackguard Customs. Um, he does some incredible metal work and woodwork, and he was a Marine in 27 um, out at, um, out in California. So um, those are what I'm working on. I'm also going on a sponsored trip, which is awesome. I had an anonymous sponsor come forward and send me on a trip to California to cover four or five veterans on the week I'm out there. Uh, so I'll be covering a few guys out there and telling their stories as well. But uh, thanks for having me on, John, as a co-host. It's been a privilege and, and an honor, and you're doing some big things here with uh, Global Recon. And thanks to Burr for putting up with me again. <laughs> It was an honor. Thanks, Tim. Again, Tim and John both. Thank you guys for 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 uh, letting me be a guest. And you know, hopefully, something I said. You know, if anybody, if one person that's a vet or a civilian out there picks up on something I said, and it you know, it gives them a positive light about you know guys coming from where I've come from, uh, then then it's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Great conversation and perspective from Bert Kuntz. Um, you know, I enjoyed having him on. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I, I look forward to having Tim back on and, uh, you know, some of the people that he highlighted with his special project. Um, so, you know, I, I highly recommend that everybody check out the Veterans Project, uh, keep up with them, see what see what Tim's got going on. Um, you know, he, he will be appearing on this podcast. Um if anyone wants to keep direct comms with him, you can just check out his website. It's thevetproject.com. Uh, if not, you can shoot me an email at podcast at globalrecon.net. And, um, you know, once again, I want to send my condolences out to the family of Major Dalton Fury as he um, passed away recently, lost his battle with cancer. Uh, he served for a long time in the uh, United States Army. A majority of that time was spent serving in highly specialized units and, um, you know, doing a lot of important work for the country. So it's a huge loss. And, um, you know, we, we feel for the family. So with that being said, I'll close out for this podcast. My website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook is FB Recon. My Instagram account is IG Recon. I have a secondary account on Instagram. It's called Black Ops Matter. And you can also check out Mission Critical on Instagram. On Twitter, my account is IG Recon. If you want to hook up and connect on LinkedIn, just search Global Recon. I encourage you to download, subscribe, and share these podcast episodes with your friends, with your family, and help us continue to stay at the top of the iTunes government and national categories. So we'll see you guys in another day, another couple of days with another episode. Peace. Peace.